from the base of Red Mountain, whose gold mines produce 2,054,913 ounces in the early 1900s. That was the Wild West back then, brothers and sisters. But that spirit lives on within one man, Jeff Weaver, purveyor at the Roslyn Dispensary, established 2016 and on today's 10-4 podcast. dressing you know in a button down sometimes even a tie for the first like six months that I was coming in here because I didn't want people to come in with that and I loved it he couldn't have, have given me more of a compliment than when someone came in and said you know you're not what I expected right and yeah you're like a well because you came from the banking business yeah. right so yeah. I imagine you were crossing T's dotting I's making sure that everything is up on the up and up you didn't just hey weed Let's no. sell it. No, not even slightly. I got a good idea. Let's let's open a store and make it so that everyone knows exactly where I am and make it easy for them. Like, it must have been such a challenge. Like, it, like, it was being the first guy. The yeah. first guy is, I think, is the crucial part. Like, because being the first guy before, like, you know, legal day, but mm-hmm. doing it because you're doing it for the right reasons mm-hmm. is everything. Mm-hmm. So, can you... Can you share with me that intense conversation that you must have had before starting this Roslyn Dispensary? Yeah, that's a pretty easy one for me because um, there was uh, there was an individual when we first opened. um, You know, I had some intense conversations with the police. uh, I had some intense conversations with the city, um, but everything was was mutually respectful and civil. Um, where I ran into my first like intense and, and, and almost frightening and and um, um, you know kind of shaken uh, from that conversation was uh, uh, my neighbor uh, nearby here, where I have um, an individual who comes from a different culture and a different mindset and certainly a different uh, uh, generation uh, who looks upon people that use this product. Um, uh, in, a, in a negative way um, and is not open to um, growing uh, uh, and, and bucking any of those stereotypes that they already have. They have an entrenched mindset and they're going to live by it with that. The problem is this person's proximity to me is very close uh, and they're, they were quite adamant that I shut down immediately upon opening. Um, they weren't interested in working with me or seeing how things would work out or whether the city was for or against or the police were for or against it. They just, uh, through the uh, through threats and intimidation at me, I was uh, CC'd in a number of emails that they sent to the city, and it's one individual, and to uh, the police, uh, calling me a bad father, uh, that I'm putting people in the psych ward, of, uh, of uh, I'm single-handedly responsible for ruining a lot of lives, um, how do I sleep at night, and that uh, I'm going to hear from their legal team or their lawyer. They're, they're part of a much larger organization. Um, there, I did everything in my power uh, to be civil with this person. I certainly never really reacted uh, or got down in the trenches of personal attacks the way that they did. Uh, I can understand how people of different generations and it takes a, uh, or different mindsets it takes a while for them to understand that the sky is not going to fall when this product is legalized and there are a lot of people that can benefit from it 
uh, um, especially if they're able to access it safely. And that's all that we're trying to do. I think they had a different idea of what would transpire here as far as, uh, you know, they thought the whole town was going to change. There were going to be people hanging out in the street corners, smoking reefer. You know, it was, it was like a replay of that 30s uh, uh, propaganda film, Reefer Madness. I mean, uh, but it didn't mean that I wasn't frightened and that I wasn't... Um, Concerned. Terribly concerned because I'm not someone that is comfortable uh, or has a lot of experience uh, being on the wrong side of the law or on the other side of the law, whether those laws are unjust or not. Um, and I was always as above board as I could be with the police in the city uh, about what we're doing. But it doesn't mean that um, you know the police might not get a mandate uh, from their because they're a federal mandated uh, RCMP uh, to come and shut me down. So there was, there was about six first six months were, uh, were were a lot of back and forth with this individual uh, with threats and intimidation uh, constantly, and uh, eventually they just gave up. But it was not without a, a fight. And uh, I just kind of stuck to my guns and uh, believed in what we were doing, but it didn't mean that I uh, didn't have a lot of sleepless nights over it. Right. But communication is the start of everything, and poor communication is the basis of every argument, the basis of every war, the basis mm -hmm. of everything. Mm -hmm. So the other person needs to understand that your side, what you're trying to communicate to them, if they chose not to communicate with you, just rather to quit. Completely. And yeah, there was really no, it's the first time in a long time that I've come in contact with that kind of intransigence where you, uh, it doesn't matter who you are or what you say um, or what you do. Uh, that person is just not going to change their mind about anything uh, to do with what you do. And uh, right or wrong, I'm not changing my mind. Yeah, and that was That's really hard to, be, to believe because I like to think that I believe in what I'm doing. And uh, I like to think that I can uh, uh, bring people over to understanding how it benefits not just you know the stereotypes that they have, but uh, the massively wide demographic that we service here. And I think that was really unfair of them to lump all of our clientele into this negative stereotypical group that's just completely untrue. And um, but yeah, I think the truth is 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 bearing uh, uh, and continues to bear because um, we've been open a year and a half, <laughs> and uh, I think they've gotten you know they are in close proximity to us. They've seen our clientele coming and going, and I think they would have to admit that it is not what they thought it would be. Right on. No. Right on. Um, Talk to me. Let's talk about support. Mm -hmm. What are those things? So, uh, who's been your support? So that's a, a great question. Um, I would, uh, you know, and again, I will always go to uh, people that are closest to us. I'd say my wife has uh, uh, has had to go through a lot uh, because what I'm doing is controversial, uh, and she is a physiotherapist. Um, I think she was receiving some flack from other colleagues in that field at first. Not, you know, uh, really overtly negative, but I think because we're in such a small community, she was not, uh, you know, she was constantly reminded about what I was doing. So it wasn't just me that was experiencing a lot of the positive and negative attention that went with this. My wife had to go through a lot of uh, growing with this as well. And uh, so she and uh, helps helping to support me with a lot of the stress uh, and continual stress that was uh, that I was under with uh, with operating this thing and never knowing day to day whether it was going to be shut down, for instance. Um, but I would also say, and I'm going to be very careful with my language when I say support, 
uh, because the RCMP detachment um, has been, and I'm not going to name any names uh, necessarily down there, but they have been uh, exceptional. Um, I think they, I went down and spoke to them directly twice about what I was going to do. And so I like to think that they appreciated that communication. Um, and they had told me, and they came up here for a tour and I showed them, you know, the main uh, concerns that they had, like security and uh, um, making sure you're not selling to youth and that sort of thing. So they were really happy with how we were running things, but they, uh, kudos to them for having an open mind because it can really depend on the detachment of the individuals there, whether they decide to act or not. And, uh, and the city, of course, is the only reason we are here, and the leadership of the mayor in particular who has had to field a lot of the complaints uh, that at the beginning, because we haven't had any complaints in over a year and a half uh, of operating outside of this one individual. And um, they bought a lot of concerns. And again, being a small community, um, the mayor uh, really had to uh, show a lot of leadership and uh, encourage uh, to allow this operation to continue. Um, and uh, so uh, kudos to, to both the police and the, and the city for, for working with us. That's really cool. So you're, showing, you're telling me that there's growth mindset in the RCMP Completely. that are open to new things, to the, to the future, to you know, the benefits, but an individual is still, one single person can't, but the, the RCMP can't. That's, that's, that's really neat. And, yeah, you know, like you being thorough, obviously you're very thorough, mm -hmm. so that they don't have to guess. They don't need to worry as much. They need to monitor it or whatever well, they're going to do. Yeah. But they're still part of it, and they're part of the solution. Rather than just Absolutely. getting in the way like you're... Uh, yeah, and they, have to, and they have to live in this community as well, right? And they're, they, uh, they're our neighbors, and they're people just like us. And, uh, you know, they've got, and the RCP is not one ideology either, but I've been extraordinarily impressed with how they have treated us because they could have been much more uh, um, uh, obstructionist, and they chose to allow us the space to work with us. They did not condone anything that we did. We're going to be very careful with our language. Right. But they uh, said we're going to handle this on a complaint basis. And uh, and then that was on us to make sure they don't get any complaints. That's interesting. And back to your wife. I don't know her, mm -hmm. but i got to tell you, single track six last summer, the mountain bike race. Yes. She was, I was the most impressed by her descending skills yes. than any other athlete out there. I got to tell you, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. So. Cool. That right. It was here. very cool. Yeah, it was probably fast on that bike. So I thought was good. I was very I was very impressed. Awesome. Good to hear that. So, how will legislation legalization affect you, and how do you think it'll affect your suppliers? So that is probably the most uh, difficult question to ascertain at this moment, but it's also the one that concerns me the most is um, uh, how it affects our suppliers and our patients in equal measure. But when we talk about suppliers specifically. I am quite adamant about carrying product here that is made locally. We do not have a lot of uh, edible options made locally that are made to the standards that we need to carry uh, when we're sitting behind the counter of a storefront. Uh, so a lot of those products have to come from the island. However, uh, 60 to 70% of our sales are in flour or bud. And I insist on all of that coming from the local area because uh, um, some West Coopings, um, because that is available to us and it happens to be phenomenal. Is this a cottage industry? Like I can, we, we can be doing this out of our house? Yeah. Is that, is that 
Well, exactly. That, you know what? I think, uh, so as far as uh, legalization goes, I do not believe that anyone will be growing out of their homes, specifically uh, 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 with some of the microbrew licenses that they are offering up. I think those are going to be still a little bit bigger than the basement operations. But what I'm most worried about is most of our suppliers are, again, people just like us. They're just trying to make a living. And they put food on the table. They raise their kids with this product. And unfortunately, for the longest time, they've had to sell that to the black market. Um, now, a lot of those people are going to be able to be incorporated into the new regime. However, um, what I'm most worried about is a lot of those people will not be able to sell product that is most likely grown under the circumstances of growing it right now because the government still does need to do something about the black market. And so they're going to have to draw a line in the sand that may or may not include a lot of those craft growers at the beginning. I am very hopeful and optimistic that as we go down the line, if they really want to stamp out the black market, you're going to have to figure out how to incorporate those smaller growers than the uh, 80 light micro grower massive operation that they're that they're going to allow now, which is still great to see them moving in that direction, but I'm most concerned about you know, the people I deal with right now who are not a single one of them would probably be included in this uh, new regime the way it looks right now. And, and so I will not be able to bring in flour that is made in the local area uh, for some time. And that uh, is bothersome for sure. But again, people have, to, people have to be patient because this is a huge pioneering step for Canada to take. And we have to recognize that every country in the Western world is watching us and how we do this on a federal level. And uh, if, if it hadn't been a provincial thing, you could have potentially had a little bit more control. But because it has to uh, be something that's amenable to all cultures across our entire federal landscape, it's a much trickier operation. So people just need to be patient and watch where this goes. Wow. Right on. Mm. Very thorough. I like it. How do you think people will consume cannabis in the future? So I think um, you're going to see gradual and continual moving away from smoking, um, and but to vaping. So I don't think you're going to. You're always going to have people that want that instantaneous relief or sensation, and that is from smoking. But I think the traditional way of burning it in a joint that is changing as we speak. As vaporizers become more uh, available and less expensive, maybe more discreet. And much more discreet, less smell. Um, you can most you, know, you may are able to use it indoors and not affect your neighbors as much as you would if you're actually burning it. Um, and then you're starting to see a lot of really cool technology around uh, pens and oils, which are also discreet and no scent. And a lot of it is, and all of it is much safer than burning uh, or combusting uh, the product because again, you're not uh, hurting your lungs uh, quite as badly. The other huge growth industry that just continues to skyrocket are edible products because I think a lot of people, whether it's the negative associations with smoking it or they don't want the instantaneous effects, they want something a little bit more spread out. A lot of people use these products for sleep, for instance, and you want them to last a lot longer. So edible products will appeal to people that never, maybe haven't smoked or you know, smoked 20 years ago, they just didn't like it but the edible sensation is uh, much more accessible and also uh, much safer and healthier uh, and lasts longer. So I think that's the one that you're going to see uh, the most change and continual, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, continual, um, um, continual sort of, 
drawing a blank here. Um, ingenuity is the word I was looking for because this is an incredibly uh, uh, ingenious um, uh, um, and industry where people are constantly uh, coming up with new and better way and safer ways to consume cannabis. Uh, there are concentrates that you're starting to hear more about. You're probably familiar with shatter, but rosin or rosin where people are, uh, there's zero additives and you can press the product in order to create this paste. Um, that keeps all the terpenes and you don't have to use a uh, uh, solvent to, to, to So help. technology. So just technology is constantly changing this space, uh, so much so that it's extraordinarily hard to keep up with it. And forget Canada, I mean, look at California, where you know, you've got the population of Canada, the fifth or sixth largest GDP in the world, in the state of California, is now recreational cannabis. I mean, that place is where everything happens first anyway, and now, with the cannabis, you're, you know, we're all going to be chasing California. Um, as far as the ingenuity goes, for sure. So yeah, it's going to be a very exciting time. A little bit uh, like uh, a little bit hard to put your hands on the on the wheel, I suppose, because it will be happening very quickly and trying to keep up with everything. But it's very exciting because uh, it's constantly becoming safer and cleaner, uh, and that's the most important thing to me. And then when you're going to be able to see these ten year clinical studies done with product that we know how it's been uh, manufactured and consumed, whereas all the studies, medical studies that have come out to date are on product that was you know, coming from the street level and we didn't know how it was produced, what was in it, and so you can't extrapolate from those findings the same way you can uh, with findings that are coming from product that was made and lab tested under standards. Uh, that are across the board the same, and then you can start extrapolating much more interesting information from that. Negative and positive uh, consequences of using these products. So it's a very exciting time to, to be watching the space for sure. So cannabis isn't the street. Cannabis is science. Cannabis is high tech. Is cannabis it? is... Absolutely. It's all of, the, all of those things that you mentioned. And I think that is still, you know, we've got 80, 90 years of propaganda to get over as far as uh, how we see cannabis use, how we see the people that might use cannabis. And I think, you know, that's, again, I said it at the beginning, probably the most rewarding part of our job is changing mindsets. And, and, and you know, the, the, the 80 or 90 year old woman that comes in here, or, you know, it doesn't matter what their age is. The person that comes in here that has never used these products before comes back a week or two later and they're sleeping better than they ever have. They're less anxious than they've ever been. Um, they're in less pain than they've ever been. Um, that is extraordinarily rewarding. And, uh, and, I, and I'm very excited for people who have not had that opportunity. Uh, once legalization comes, that uh, they're going to have more and more access. And I think uh, you're gonna just reach a lot more and help a lot more people. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, thank Thanks you. for being on the 10-4 podcast. Selling cannabis is one thing, but by being thorough, Jeff is getting through and results from government and the police. 10-4 Optics Thorough. SFPs 1G to 100G for your home network, small business, or data center. We have you covered. Free shipping today from California. Lifetime 24-hour replacement guarantee. 10-4Optics.com. Here's some more deep purple machine head, and maybe you can be on the next 10-4 podcast.